Hi everyone, I'm Tess Falgren and this is Folks Podcast. Uh, for today's episode, I'm going to be talking to my really good friend, Sydney Fall, about a woman named Mary McLean, who was a um, pretty awesome writer from Butte, Montana. Um, I got to spend about a week in Butte recently, so it was really fun learning about someone who I identified with so strongly who lived in Butte um, over 100 years ago. Um, Sydney and I had a lot of fun talking about, about all the ways that we identified with, um, Mary's relationship with the town she grew up in, in comparison to the town that we grew up in, um, which is Glasgow, Montana. We, we both grew up in Glasgow together, um, and being creative types that were a little, um, self-centered and, (laughs) um, angsty, we had a lot in common with Mary. So it was pretty fun. Um, so there's new stuff going on with folks. I hope that everyone has found us on iTunes by now. If you haven't, you can find us at uh, folks colon a Montana podcast. Please, re- um, please subscribe there. You could also rate and review. That'd be really cool. Um, I also made a Patreon account. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's a way to um, fund projects through um, your supporters. So those of you who have been listening to every episode, if you find it in your heart to shoot a couple bucks um, my way to help support the podcast, most of that, all of that will probably go to um, paying for the books that I buy, the books I buy to um, research the episodes. Uh, Every episode I make takes anywhere from four to ten plus hours just to research, record, and edit. And then for some reason, every time you go to share or like actually release the episode, something something tends to go wrong. So um, so that always adds a little bit of a little bit of time and stress. Anyway, um, so find us at patreon.com slash folks podcast. There will be awards or rewards, I should say, um, announced eventually. I'll, I, um, I need to work out those kinks. Um, uh, the other things we have Patreon, we have iTunes. Um, you can obviously listen to us on SoundCloud still, and I'm working on the website that's, um, it's under my website, so it's tessfalgren.com slash folkspodcast. The episodes are also there. And then um, lastly, I would love it if everyone um, who listens would like to go uh, like our Facebook page. That's um, Folks Podcast on Facebook. Um, I have a link to it on my personal Facebook page. And um, after you listen to the episode, if you just want to like leave a little message there and tell me what you thought, I would love that. I would love to hear any suggestions of people you would like to hear covered. Um, or if anyone wants to volunteer to be um, um, a guest, that would be amazing. So uh, thank you so much for everyone's support. It's been really fun making these and I feel like I'm finally getting into a groove. So um Thank you so much, and I really hope you enjoy today's show. We had a lot of fun making it. But first of all, um, Sydney Fowl, what's your deal? Who are you? Who hey. are you? I'm a, I'm a human person. A human person? What's your name? Sydney Fall. Sydney Michael Alexa Fall. Smav. 
What? Smaf. Smaf? Oh. Yeah, that's like the, whatever that is, like Anna, anagram? Anagram? Of my name. Yeah. Wait, Sydney, Michael, Alexa, Fal- Yeah, Smaf. There is a lot of them. Yeah, I always forget because Michael... Is a boy name. Is a boy name. Yep. So I always remember Michael, but then I can't, but just now I did remember the second. Yeah, you pretty much nailed it. It's like the, like, a really, like, boyish boy name and then, like, a really beautiful girl name. Yeah. So it kind of, like, is really nice. I like it. It makes sense. Apparently it's a Bible thing, but my parents have never, like, told me, yeah, I don't know where... Alexa is? No, Michael. Oh. Well... Do you know? He's a person, right? No, I think there was a chick, though. A woman? I think. Really? I'm pretty sure, because they spelled it weird. It's like M-I-C-H-A-L. Oh, A-L? Yeah. Like Michelle? Yeah, it's French. Oh. It's not French. Oh. I'm an asshole, I'm sorry. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) I reacted to that like it was true, and then I was like, I really wish. The Bible's not French, though. (laughs) You guys are like some like weird other kind of religion where you're like, you drink, you drink. (laughs) Where we just drink a lot. You drink a French Bible. The Church of Budweiser. (laughs) (laughs) Your name is Michael. I do. It's French for woman. Oh my god. (laughs) Okay, cool. Uh, So, study human biology at Mm -hmm. the university. Mm -hmm. Um, I have two degrees in studio art and psychology. Um, What else do I do? Getting into rock climbing. I learned how to hand jam this weekend. Hand jam. Yeah, it's cool. You like stick your hand in rock cracks. Oh, like this. I've seen that. Well, you put your. Yeah. Like that, or like, this is from sticking your hand in a crack and then making a fist. Oh. And then it's like an anchor. Yeah. So you just anchor yourself with your hands, which is super scary, because yeah. it feels like your hand's just going to come out. Yeah. But, I don't know, you just keep your thumb Have you tucked. done it in, did you do it outside or inside? Outside. Have you done it inside? I've seen the, it, I've seen that and when I was in Austin I went to the Oh they have like gym, slot and they have these huge I tried it and it's hard. Yeah. No, yeah. we have that at the U but I can't I can't you do it. You haven't done it there. Uh-uh. But you did it outside, that's cool. Yeah, it's super fun. The people that are really good at it can like invert so they put their uh-huh. feet above their heads <gasps> and like uh, it's really cool. Oh my gosh. I'm not that strong. That yeah. blows my mind. It's fucking cool. Yeah. So that's like mostly what I do. Yeah, good for you. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, yeah, when you did it in Austin. No, I did it in Austin, but that's not actually what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of when I was in Portland rock climbing with oh. my brother and his friends, and I was like the like goofy little sister like, ooh, rock climbing, and yeah. like my brother's friends were super good at it, and they're yeah. just like, yeah, I'm going to try this thing over here, and they just like like go up this like that's awesome the craziest ones were yeah. they like also super sweet because the they climbers nice here are like super yeah it's just great people well i think that also i have this i my theory is that like it's just the environment is so nice like they might be like even if a person is kind of shitty a lot of the time yeah when they're in their like happy environment at the rock gym they're probably that makes gonna sense. they're probably gonna just be nice because they're happy. Yeah, that you makes know sense. What I mean, but that makes you, sense. You might hang out with them because I just I'm like not everybody in this whole building is this nice all the time. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess that's true for me. Like, I'm not that nice all the time. It right. Just, you're just like it's happy. Just fun. Yeah. yeah. It's just a good environment. Everyone's like being. I mean, yeah. And it's so hard that like no one judges anyone because they're like. Yeah, I struggled with that for a exactly. really long time, like yeah. not that long ago. Uh-huh. So 
It's cool. For sure. I mean, I think that that happens a lot in, like, lot in like group um, activity spaces. Like, at, like, oh, yeah. you know, in, like, a studio, like, a ceramic studio yeah. or something. And you're yeah. like, why is everyone here so nice? It's like, because everyone's, like, happy to be here. And they right. recognize that you're a beginner and they want to be, you know. But sometimes people mm-hmm. are dicks at ceramic studios, too. I don't know. It's the insecure people. Like, there's yeah. mean people at the gym, too, but they're like, it's weird. The really good people are uh, super nice because, like, that, they want yeah. you to succeed. And the really new people are really nice because they're just stoked. Uh-huh. It's, like, the mid-level people that are, like, good enough to be able to, like, see what you're doing wrong, uh-huh. but are not good enough to be, like, confident right. in what they're doing. It's Yeah. It's strange. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, like, they're... Humans, like, just, like, psychology... I, this yeah. is why I never get anything done because I'm just watching. Because you're like, just like studying oh, all the people. Oh yeah, like yeah. a creep. <laughs> totally. <laughs> okay, I let's talk a little bit about Mary McLean because I think that you're gonna like her. Okay. Um, uh, first of all, I kind of want to do a disclaimer that I am sick, so hopefully it doesn't matter. I just took some Dayquil. You don't sound sick. I don't sound sick? No. Uh-uh. Good. I, oh my gosh, I got, I was in Billings all week with Artmobile and it was, uh, I was, all of a sudden, <laughs> I was like, oh, I have a sore throat. Oh my gosh, it is so bad. And oh, then I had to no. work for two more days, like all day long with kids and I was like, you know, antibacterial all the time and not touching anybody and just like in pain the whole time. It was really crappy. Um, yeah, this year has been a bad one as far as have like you been sickness goes. sick a lot? Well, I had the stomach flu during... Spring break. Really? For like a week. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's like, when I was gone. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, there was like, there's some wicked bugs going around. <laughs> that sucks. I haven't really gotten sick all year. Oh, that's good. Except for once when I was in Big Sandy. I was in a hotel room all by myself in Big Sandy and I got the stomach bug. And I was like... It's scary. It's oh my scary. Gosh. Like, I like, I'm gonna die alone. Yeah. It's like... I called my brother and I was like, because I had just been with him and I was like, hey, are you feeling okay? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I'm throwing up a lot. And he's like, oh, okay. And I was like, I gotta go. I have to go through. And then I like passed out on the floor. Oh my God. (laughs) And I kept like telling the hotel owners like, hey, I'm really sick. Cause I was hoping they would like bring me soup or something. Cause it's like a family owned hotel. Right. But they were like, okay. (laughs) Dicks. Like, didn't care at all. Gross click. <laughs> yeah, like, like uh, <laughs> deal with it. You're an adult. And I was like, but I don't want to be. I'm barely an adult. Yeah, like, I was barely. Like, I was 16, like, 10 years ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> barely an adult. Just help me. <laughs> Just pretend I'm still Love bad. of God. Okay, well, anyway. Mary McLean. Mary McLean, the third Mary in a row, because we had Mary Wells, or no, we had Mary Fields, and then we had Mary Wells, and now we have Mary McLean. So this is not on purpose, it's just a thing. People couldn't get away from naming little girls Mary back in the day. Um, so Mary McLean was a writer in um, Butte, Montana. Okay. So but? In Buddy. But, but T? But A? M-T. <laughs> okay. Butte, Montana. I've heard of it. Yeah. So, okay, so a uh, little backstory. I was in Butte for a week for my residency. Being a writer. Being a writer, exactly. There when you go. I was, um, when you were sick on your oh, spring break, I was that. in Butte. And um, I was like, I want to write about, I want to do a folks episode about a woman from Butte and my new friend. Yeah. 
And um, also because I'm reading this other book called Devil in the White City about... Oh my god, H.H. Holmes! Yeah! Yeah! Have you read it? I haven't, but I've heard it's amazing. Yes, it is amazing. And it's... So it's a half about H.H. Holmes, a serial killer, which is crazy and awesome. Oh my god, but, it's the scariest thing. <laughs> yeah. But it's also about the World's Fair in Chicago. Right. And um, it really is like half and half. And the reason that... H.H. Holmes was able to do so many murders was because women were leaving their homes and going to cities. Just on their own. On their own, exactly. For, like, the first time ever. They were just, like, getting onto trains and going to cities and working as typists and living in these boarding houses. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's, like, at the same time that that's happening, that's when Mary McLean is, like, being born and becoming a young woman. Oh. Oh. So it's, it's just this kind of, like, new awakening of, like... Some, like, locomotion. Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And it's way before, like, the major feminist movements, but... Well, it's like, like, she's... Mary McLean is born, like, 30 years before, or, like, 20 years before the first wave feminist movement really, like, took a swing or whatever, but, um... That, which is, like, perfect timing, because then she's, like, 20 when it happens. Right. You know? Um... Okay, so she was born to Scotch and Canadian Presbyterian parents um, when she was four years old. I love it so much. (laughs) I love it so much. Um, But so then when she um, was 19, she wrote a diary from January 13th to April 13th and an afterword on October 28th, um, a record of three months of nothingness. Is what she called it. And it became her first book. So it was the one that, like, got her famous. And it's, um, she wanted to call it I Await the Devil's Coming. But the publisher was like, that's a little bit much, Mary. So. (laughs) Was she fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. Okay. It's like, it is like a diary entry. Like, this day I did this. Oh, interesting. Um, and I'll read a little bit from it. But. And then, so the publisher called it The Story of Mary McLean by Herself. Um, It sold 100,000 copies in the first month. Damn. Yeah. Girl. I know. It's pretty cool. Um, And then it was translated into 36 languages. She moved to New York City and lived in Greenwich um, as a literary celebrity. Why was the book so amazing? Like... So, we'll get into that, but she, like... It's, it's really interesting. Um, to me, it seems like exactly what you and I were writing about when we were 19 or when we were like 15. Yeah. It's like the same stuff, but no, but when Mary did it, like no one had done it before. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I'll read a little bit from it, but first I want to talk a little bit about her like celebrity, um, So, the extent of her fame and scandalous reputation were such that the New York world ran a forum for reader response that said, what do you think of Mary McLean? Like, the country was, like, thinking about her and talking about her, you know? That's crazy. Um, So, the book I'm looking at is The Story of Mary McLean by Herself, a Western history classic. So, this edition has a really good um, intro about her and study of her. It's pretty cool. Wait, can I ask you a question about the... 
So it was like a survey. Like, what do you think of her? Yeah, it was like a survey. Was there like multiple choice things? I don't know. A form for reader response. So they probably were asked to write letters in. Oh, I see. I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, so she lived primarily in Greenwich Village with some winters in St. Augustine, Florida. Um, in 1905, she summered in Rockland and Boston and led the 4th of July parade float, lying on a divan, 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 uh, beneath a silk canopy as the crowd applauded. She was so well known that McLeanism became a term for rebelliousness in young women. That's crazy? super fucking badass. Yeah. Uh, one second. So, okay, so then she went on to write a few more things. So she's famous, and she lives in New York, and um, she wrote another book in 1903. The first one was re- was released in 1902, I believe, and then her next book came out in 1903, um, a book of musings on life and letters, My Friend Annabelle Lee. Um, but it, like, didn't do well at all. Hmm. And um, she wrote a bunch of editorials for fa- various newspapers and magazines, but they did not net her enough money to continue living well. Um, from 1906 to 1909, she wrote a bunch of letters to her publisher asking for money, like, please, like, find me more jobs. I'm super poor. Oh, God. Um, so finally, she moved back to Butte in 1909 and started writing editorials for the Butte Evening News. Um, and some of them were, like, kind of good and funny, and you can still find them. But she wasn't, like, making nearly as much of a life for herself. Right. Anymore. Um, and then she wrote another book, um, is a sequel called I, Mary McLean, A Diary of Human Days, which was published in 1917. But it's interesting because this book says it has, it's feminist, but... That doesn't make sense to me, because in the original, um, I Await the Devil's Coming, Mm -hmm. she talks a lot about this, like, she's in love with a teacher of hers, a a woman named Fanny Corbin, Mm. and um, she, like, is like, our friendship is this, like, special, beautiful kind of friendship I've never felt before, I love her, like... Like, definitely say, like, she's... Romantically. Romantically in love with this woman. Uh, but then okay. in the second book, she, call, she like, talks about female relationships as being twisted and warped. So, like... That's really interesting. Yeah. Any mention of that woman? I don't think so. Hmm. Yeah, so... Something happened. I know, but apparently not, though, because in the first book, by the time she wrote the first book, Fanny Corbin, her teacher, had moved away. So she was, like, oh. talking about her in memory. She's, like... Fanny never felt this way about me. She oh, she's like a, like a super strong Christian. She's just like a beautiful, kind woman. I feel all these feelings for her. And then oh, I see. Yeah, but maybe something else like unrelated to Fanny happened. I don't know. Hmm. But like by today, I feel like that's also just kind of growing older. Like people just maybe. get cynical. Yeah, sometimes. Maybe. Totally. It definitely doesn't like calling something, denouncing something like that in a later book definitely makes you seem more. Um, less, like, vulnerable. And the reason people liked her first book was because she was, like, honest and vulnerable in a really weird way. Yeah. You know? Because it was, like, her diary. Yeah, She's exactly. like, here, read my... Yeah. And, but, yeah, so, by today's standards, it is, like, not feminist to call 
lesbianism twisted. You know, that's like anti-feminist. No. So, but that's like the interesting thing about feminism is that it's changed so much. Um, Wait, that in and of itself was considered feminist? Yeah, well, not her calling it twisted and warped. But just talking about it. I don't know what they're... I mean, I haven't read the book, but this this editor, this um, person who's writing an essay about her calls that second book feminist. Huh. But then it also later says that she calls lesbianism twisted. So I'm like, I guess those two things, like, in different parts of the book could be true, but it yeah. just doesn't seem... I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. I should probably read, go read the book, because... Yeah, I mean, I guess there's a chance that she, like was pointing out something about the way women are treated or are taught to treat each other that yeah. maybe isn't great and could be improved, but mm-hmm. if you just say that it's, like, fucked to begin with... Yeah. I don't know. That's... It's that's weird. No good. <laughs> I know. I So, but the, remember, like, we have to... When we talk about people and feminism in 1900, what, in 1917 or whatever, it's, like, the rules are, like, so different. Of, like, what is, like, feminist, you know? So it's just Right, because it's a fledgling yeah. movement. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just, it's interesting and weird. That's really funny. They were like, she mentions women. Feminist. <laughs> yes, Nailed it. <laughs> I, I, um, I really wish that I had had a professor in college that had talked about this woman. Because yeah. um, maybe what I'll do is we'll read a little bit from her books and then do some more of this, talk a little bit more about this, like, theory about her. Because she's really interesting. There's interesting stuff about her. Um, okay, so this is her book, I Await the Devil's Coming, by Mary McLean. So this, like, after the original publication, they reissued it with the title that she wanted. Because originally it was published under the title, The Story of Mary McLean by Herself. Which is so bland. I like, know. I'm surprised that sold so many copies. I it just know. sounds like it's so weird. Like, how could you possibly? <laughs> I think also we're probably just super jaded because like every celebrity has like the Kim Kardashian story. I and know. We're like, just shut up. Like, it's true. It's true. So maybe she was just a revolutionary. Yeah, that's the thing is that she. I think that she was. You know. Um, she was definitely, like, modernist before modernism was a thing yet. So I was just looking at modernism, like, to get some, like, actual better-than-what-I-could-get-out-of-my-own-brain definitions. Mm-hmm. Um, characteristics of modernism, destabilization and fragmentation of reality, and narration through fragmented, internalized, or multiple perspectives or viewpoints. So that is Mary McLean to a T. Um but they, like, the internet here is citing books from 1929 and 1927. So these are books that came out almost 30 years after Mary McLean wrote her original book. Hmm. And, but Mary was doing it. So she, like... Hey, look at it. Yeah. So hmm. The Sound of Fury and To the Lighthouse are, like, classic examples of modernism. Um, hmm. But Mary was definitely doing all that stuff earlier, but she... I don't know exactly why she like, lost, like, fell out of the world's view, you know? Part of it is because mm. when her second book came out, it was during World War One, and people were, like, um... Frantic. Frantic, yeah, and they, like, this, the, this book says it didn't, like, mesh with the realism that was 
Oh. People were interested in at the time. Right. Um, I think because they were seeing, there were, so much was happening in the real world that they were like, I don't care about Mary McLean right now. With her, like, you'll see. I'll just, I'll read something. No, that it. makes sense. Yeah. So, okay. Um, this is the very first, the opening of I Await the Devil's Coming. Um, Butte, Montana, January 13th, 1901. I, of woman of womankind and of 19 years, will now begin to set down as full and frank a portrayal as I am able of myself, Mary McLean, for whom the world contains not a parallel. I am convinced of this, for I am odd. I am distinctly original, innate, innately, and in development. I have in me a quite unusual intensity of life. I can feel. I have a marvelous capacity for misery and for happiness. I am broad-minded. I am a genius. I am a philosopher of my own good peripatetic school. I care neither for right nor for wrong. My conscience is nil. My brain is a conglomeration of aggressive versatility. I have reached a truly wonderful state of miserable, morbid unhappiness. I know myself oh very well. I have attained an egotism that is rare indeed. I have gone into the deep shadows. All this constitutes oddity. I find, therefore, that I am quite, quite odd. Hmm. Yeah, here's, wait, here's some more. I have hunted for even the suggestion of a parallel among the several hundred persons that I call acquaintances. But in vain. There are people and people of varying depths and intricacies of character, but there's none to compare with me. She sounds like a manic depressive. <laughs> yeah. Like, for real, for real. <laughs> I'm sure she was. But it's it's kind of funny, right? Because it's like... No, it's great. Isn't it so much what we were writing? Oh, it's Bright Eyes. It's Bright Eyes. Exactly. Yep. It's no, like, totally. It's, <laughs> it's Bright Eyes. It's like, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm I... a genius. Also, darkness of the human soul. I am the saddest person in this whole world, <laughs> and that makes me the best person in this whole world. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of love it. Um, here's another one. Can I be that... Can I be that thing which I am? Can I be possessed of a peculiar, rare genius, and yet drag out my life in obscurity in this uncouth, warped Montana town? How old was she? 19. Yeah. Right? I've written things like that about Glasgow. About Glasgow! Yeah. I know. I'm, like, willing to bet you money. I know. It makes for me sure. so happy because... She's just super verbose, but she's a teenager. Exactly. She's like, a teenager. Like, for sure. And people weren't writing this kind of stuff then. That's what's right. so exciting about it is that it's like, it it like, it like was this idea suddenly that you could, you know, it's like there's this girl out there in rural Montana. Well, it's not really that rural. You was pretty big at the time, but in Montana, which is rural to the rest of the country. Right. There's this woman out there who is like 19. She's sexual. She is like obsessed with herself. She's smart. And she's writing these diary entries and everyone was like, what the heck is this? Well, right, and she finds herself important enough to write a whole book about. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so by, like, having that confidence, people find her... Find her interesting and also important. And also important. Yeah. Uh-huh. And also, it, like it, like I said earlier, it's happening at the same time as women, like, venturing out and finding jobs on their own. Right. You know? So, like, those girls that are doing that probably picked up this book and they're like, holy crap. That's really interesting. It's like... Yeah. Psychologically, it's super 
it's almost manipulative because the way that she got <coughs> got a claim was by like claiming that she was already this thing, like already a genius, like so, and that's what got her got her there. Doesn't it kind of remind you of chaos? Magic? I'm just gonna say that yeah! chaos magic shit. <laughs> yeah, yep, I yep. Know. It is. It like blows she... my mind. It makes me so happy. It's really funny, Sido, because I didn't plan. I didn't think about the fact. I had no idea that we were going to be talking about this person that I think both of us can relate to so well. Yeah. And also that we both know stuff about Chaos Magic. Yep. Which yeah, is no, super no. cool. And Chaos Magic is weird and everyone should go research it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and listen to the last podcast on the left about Chaos Magic. It's so good. It's so interesting. It's just about, like, fulfilling your own destiny by, like, talking about it and willing it to happen and believing that it's already there. Right. You know? I think... Go ahead. No, you keep going. Oh, I think so much of that is just, like, humans only have limited resources to do Mm -hmm. things every day, Mm -hmm. and, like, long-term goals are really hard to pursue if you aren't, like, actively, like, excited about it in your day-to-day life. And sometimes the only way to, like, bring future goals into your day-to-day life is to talk about them. Yes. Like, yeah, you have to do stuff, but also, like, if you're the only one that's thinking about it, it's really easy for that to just, like... Just go away. Yeah, to just get crushed behind, like, Mm -hmm. taxes and getting groceries and doing schoolwork, like... Well, it's also, like, um... Did you listen to the L. Ron Hubbard episodes? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, like, going about and being, like, I'm a genius and I know everything. And if you say that to a bunch of people and you are, like, really good at saying that to a bunch of people... Then you become a genius that knows things because everyone believes that you are. Right. You know, and, like, even if you're not actually in your heart, like, I think that's probably why Mary McLean, like, I don't know for sure, but I'm wondering if she, the reason she didn't keep her fame was because she wasn't much more of a genius than her original thought of, I am a genius, and because I'm brave enough and weird enough to say that loudly, people are going to accept it, but then she couldn't, like, deliver in the long term. Oh, you potentially. Know, yeah, I don't know if that sure. makes sense. So I the gimmick was like that she was this like audacious nineteen year old. Yeah. And then she's like, That's what I am and I'm the first person in the world to be like, Heck yeah I am. Right. You know, and then like later Virginia Woolf was like actually incredibly intelligent, actually an amazing writer. So she could carry on a career and be famous forever. Right. Where Mary McLean was just like the first one to be like blah blah blah. Yeah. You know? It also reminds me of Occupy Wall Street, where, like, okay, this is kind of a stretch, but, like... No, I'm excited. Okay. <laughs> where, like, Occupy Wall Street was this, like, dream that happened. It definitely happened a while ago, and it didn't mm-hmm. last that long, and everyone's mm-hmm. kind of like, that was a failure. You know, like, lots of people, like, think of it as a failure. Right. But the fact that it happened, gave, like, made people think in a certain way, and yeah. Bernie Sanders almost became the Democratic nominee. Yeah. You know, like, way later. So right. it's like, like, Mary McLean is the, like, Occupy Wall Street, like, idea. I feel like there's a lot of examples of that. Like, I'm the sure first there is. yeah. Is it necessarily the best? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need the craftsmanship because you have the ingenuity kind yeah. of thing. And then it just, like, kind of, like, even if that gets, even if that disappears, like, even if Occupy Wall Street is, like, not even in a history book, or if it's, like, a phrase in a history book, it uh-huh. is that, it like, people start thinking in that way. Right. You know, where, like, Mary McLean, like, people don't really know much about her, but I'm I'm guessing that people that ended up being, like, the, the um, signposts of mo- modernism read her and knew about her. 
you know, and, like, thought about her and then went on to do their own thing. So, she's modernist in that she, um, like, subverted what was expected of her? Or did she write in, like, fragmented... Yeah, so she's, like, writing in these fragmented ways, um, non-linear, um, let's see here. It's, like, the way that I've always understood modernism is identity and, like, a sense of, um, like, fragmented identity that gets stronger in postmodernism, but it's, like, Mm. yeah, I I mean, I'm sure someone will listen to this and be, like, you guys are totally wrong, um, (laughs) but that's, like, my idea of modern, modernism is, um, is that, here's what, unification of fragmenting reality through internalized or interior perception, as in stream of consciousness. So, like, stream okay. of consciousness writing is a really good example of modernism, and that's very Pretty much, much what that is, yeah. Very much what Mary McLean is writing. That makes sense. Um, there's a couple more really cool things I want to talk about her with. If you get a good definition, let me know. Um, let's see. So, like, I was... So, so, she started writing on January 13th, which I was like, sweet, that means she's going to write on my birthday. So, I was really excited to see what she wrote on my birthday, you know? And, um... So, and I was not disappointed. She wrote a really long entry on January 18th, and it's about her body. So, which is cool to me because that's important to me, like, relationship with your body as a woman and things like that. It's super relatable. Yeah, and um, really important. And so let's see here. And another, the, the main crux of her book, I Await the Devil's Coming, is her literally saying, like, I am waiting for the devil to come to me. And the devil is this, like... It seems as if it's this idea of, like, passionate, crazy happiness. Hmm. Like, she says there's... Maybe I'll find it later, but she says there's, like, three kinds of happiness. I'll find it in a little bit and read that part. But the devil in this book is... Is, like... Like, um, rabid happiness. And she says Hmm. that she wants nothing but... seven years of this type of devil happiness and then death. That's all she wants. Damn. Yeah. And it's kind of like exactly what she got. Like when I think we were talking about chaos magic, like she lived in New York city for a little while and then moved back to Butte. And like, it seems like she got what she was talking about. Like Maybe that's why she stopped writing. She just maybe, got what she wanted. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, like, it was that thing where, like, it, like, burns and then it's out. And then you're like, oh, I can't really write that good stuff anymore because I got what I wanted. And, like, I can try, but it's not going to grab you in the same way because, like... Well, I... it's, like, all of our favorite bands that are, like, <laughs> yeah. in their, like, 50s now and are, like, happy. Yeah, and, and it's, their like, music is terrible. Like, Why aren't you like... good anymore? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, like, when when Isaac Brock stopped drinking, you know? And it was, like, shoot. Yep. Dang it. It's, like, good for you, man, but also, like, there's no angst or anything. Yeah, like... yeah. Like, I miss when you were, like, an upset teenager so bad. Yep. But then, also, I was, too, you know? I don't know. Right. Yeah, so it's like you like you burn up that that part of you that makes amazing stuff, and then it's it exists, but you can't just like keep living in it, right? Um, and it might not be good to keep living in it. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't think that's super sustainable for anyone. Exactly, it's like that. Um, um, I think it was Iggy Pop talking to um, 
oh my gosh, I hope it was a pop or else I'm crazy. Um, talking to Anthony Bourdain in like one of his shows, they're like hanging out, eating dinner. And Iggy Pop is like, I'm really glad I get to see my grandkids. He's like the only person, he's like still alive, you know, and he's like healthy right. and he's like vegan or something, you know, and he like exercises. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's like, we, I think as a culture, we're kind of getting over as much as we like are sad that Modest Mouse isn't playing as good a music anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I think as a culture, we're kind of getting over the idea of burning out you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. of like Kurt Cobain, like, right. Um, you're not dying when you're young because you're just like, go, oh, you're going to make so much good music. You're going to die because of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. you know? Drain your life force. Well, and also like the idea of the tortured artist is just yeah. like, not true. It doesn't have to be. No, not uh, at all. I don't know. And the, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, <sighs> David Foster Wallace, you know, like maybe, maybe it wasn't possible for someone like him to ever live a long life. I don't know. Yeah. But maybe if there wasn't that pressure, he would have been able to. Yeah. I don't know. That's hard to say. I don't know. It's really hard to say. I don't know. Cause a lot of those people, like, I don't know a lot about, um, where David Foster Wallace came from, so I can't really comment on that. Yeah. But I know a lot of the people that um, burned up young and passed away just had no... They were essentially just, like, life lottery winners. Like, all, like they had nothing, and then all of a sudden they just had access to, like, all of this yeah. fuel, like, whether it be, like, drugs or... Mostly drugs. <laughs> Mostly <laughs> drugs, drugs. Let's be honest. Um... <laughs> <laughs> that they didn't know how to handle because yeah. they were, like, young uh-huh. and didn't come from a family that, like, had money. Like, they right. weren't used to having that kind of pressure. So it's like, whoa, like, this is suddenly available to me. I'm just gonna, like, I have no idea how to not go crazy with it. Right. Yeah. And also when you're young, you think you're invincible. Mm-hmm. Like, it's true. No one And also when that. there is that pressure or that idea as a culture that you're supposed to, or like that it's okay, or like that's what artists do. Right. You know? Um, then that's just what you do. But, um, I don't know, because with Mary, she, she lived in New York, but then she eventually ran out of money, moved back to Butte in 1909. So it's kind of interesting that it was like seven years later when she oh, asked Oh, exactly. Her, yeah. Oh, that is crazy. Yeah, seven or eight years later. Um, I think it was seven. And, which is just like, what the heck? Why why aren't these people that I'm reading talking about that? But, (laughs) um, um, she moved back and she was pretty obscure, you know, but she was still writing for the paper. And then she, um, moved to Chicago and died when she was 48 of, like, unknown causes. But she had a friend. Hmm. She died in a boarding house. So, like, I don't know. Maybe she had... Wow. Maybe she was... Someone said that she looks like she turned to prostitution because she was wearing a kimono. But it's like, that's a big assumption. <laughs> that's a pretty big leap. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> she just liked kimonos. Like, what? Um, and then... But, like, yeah, maybe she had some sort of STD or a drug overdose or something. I don't know what makes you die at 48. I don't know. That's crazy, yeah. though. It's kind of weird because there's this theme in this book where she's like, I feel as if I'm 40. 
I feel as if I'm 40 years old. She just like, <laughs> I feel about 40 years old. She just repeats it over and over again. It's also funny how, like, in those days, half of all deaths were just, like, unknown causes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, in a heart attack. Like, yeah. we would know now. Yeah, we would definitely <laughs> it know. It could be anything. There's so much. I have been getting so interested in history. It's really fun. Um... So let's see if there's... Okay, so in this January 18th episode, my birthday, she um, is talking about her body in a cool way, I think. Um, so the devil has given me some good things, for I find that the devil owns and rules the earth and all that therein is. He has given me, among other things, my admirable young woman's body, which I enjoy thoroughly and of which I am passionately fond. A spasm of pleasure seizes me when I think in some acute moment of the buoyant health and vitality of this young, fine body that is feminine in every fiber. Isn't that kind of nice? Yeah. Like, how often do you hear 19-year-old girls be like, I am awesome. Like, my body is, like, the best thing ever. That is super cool. Was she really pretty? Like, she was pretty. I don't know. I mean, it's hard in these old pictures to see how pretty a person is. Right. <laughs> That's really funny. Her hair is frizzy Mostly on top of her black. head. Mostly black. She looks, yeah, she looks very like, duh. look at that picture. She's like, get over it. Oh my God. <laughs> so sassy. So sassy. Um, but the other thing that's interesting about this, especially because I was just in Butte and looking around it, she talks a lot of shit about Butte. She does not like it. But, um... At least when this book is written. But then later she says that she does. It's the same kind of thing with us in Glasgow. Right. It's like when you're there, you're like, get me out of this goddamn town. And then once you have some distance, you're like, oh, actually. Yeah, it's actually pretty interesting. Um, but she, because you are a product of it. And if you love yourself that much, as much as Mary does, for sure, mm-hmm. you can't escape the fact that you're formed by the town that you are living in. Right. So you have to love it. To some extent. Or, like, at least give it some credit. Yeah, exactly. Something. Um, but she also... So she's talking about her body, how amazing her body is, and she is going on a hike. She's hiking. Like, back then, like, there's all these, like, um, classic writers that walk and walk and walk and walk. I don't know if you've read them. Like, I can't even think of who it was. But there's, like, a whole group of these writers from, like, Scotland and Ireland and stuff that would go on these giant walks. It sounds familiar. Yeah. And, um, I just remember learning about it for, like, a day in in college. And, um, walking as, like, a writing meditation. But, like, nowadays we call, we would call it hiking. Like, they were hiking. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. You know? And, like, that's what we do. Like, we go on hikes, and it helps you clear your mind and get in touch with nature and, like, blah, blah, blah. Right. So, Mary is in Butte, and she's hiking, which is a thing people do in Butte now, too. Yep. You know? And so she's, like, um, sometimes in the midst of the brightness of an October, I have walked for miles in the still high air under the blue of the sky. The brightness of the day and the blue of the sky and the incomparable high air have entered into my veins and flowed with my red blood. They have penetrated into every remote nerve center and into the marrow of my bones. At such a time, this young body glows with life. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Yeah, so she's just, like, going out, being a hiker. She's just a Montana kid. Exactly. She's just a Montana, like, an intelligent Montana woman 
feeling like she doesn't have the opportunities that she wishes that she had. Yeah, super relatable. So relatable. <laughs> it's, like, so relatable. Yeah. Um, she's also super into Napoleon Bonaparte. Why? Um, just because. Uh, yeah, just because. Uh, think of that wonderful, admirable, matchless man of steel, Napoleon Bonaparte. He threw himself heavily on the world, and the world has never since been the same. He hated himself and the world and God and fate and the devil. His hatred was the, his term of anguish. Then the sun threw on the sky for him a red, red line. The red line of triumph, glory, fame. So that red line comes to her a lot. She wants this red line. And she thinks of it as this, like, perfect zenith of happiness. She talks about the three different kinds of happiness on January 21st. Um, and I think that they're really interesting. So there's... Okay, happiness, don't you know, is of three kinds, and all are transitory. It never stays, but it comes and goes. There is that happiness that comes from newly washed feet, for instance, and a pair of clean stockings on them, particularly after one has been upon a tramp in the country. Always I have identified this kind of happiness with a Maltese cat, dipping a hungry, stealthy, sensual tongue into a bowl of fresh, thick cream. I love that. Um... There is that still happiness that has come to me at rare times when I have been with my one friend, and which does very well for people whose feelings are moderate. They need wish for nothing beyond it. They could not appreciate anything deeper. And there is that kind of happiness which is of the red sunset sky. There is something terrible in the thought of this indescribable mad happiness with a capital H. What a thing it is for, for a human to be happy with the red, red happiness of the sunset sky. Yeah. Um, and then she just goes on to talk about how amazing it is. But there are no words to tell it. It is something infinitely above and beyond words. It is the kind of happiness the devil will bring to me when he comes. To me, to me. Oh, why does he not come now when I am in the midst of my youth? Why is he so long in coming? That's super interesting. I yeah. wonder... It seems like she could be referring to so many things with that last one. Yeah. Like, it's... It seems like it might just be an abstract thing. Uh-huh. Um, but it also could be, like, some kind of... Like, I don't know. There's just something... There's something weird about this girl. Yeah. Like, mental health <laughs> was sure. a super... <laughs> I don't know, like, the the field of, like, psychology and mental health and all of those types of things were super, yeah, um, so super young and yeah. not very well practiced. It makes uh, me curious, like, just coming at it from my perspective, I know I never thought of happiness that way yeah, as this, like, overwhelming thing that would just yeah find you. It makes me curious if, like, has she had it before? Well, see, the way I see it... Or it's this unattainable thing. Yeah, to me it seems... Because the happiness has a capital H. I feel like I wouldn't call it happiness. But I feel like it's that feeling of... Like, I feel like she just has this knowledge that there's something bigger in the world. And and she's like, mm -hmm. and I am at the center of it. Like, I am special and I will find this thing and it's I'm going to feel so good when I have it. 
And I mm. think that that's what it is. I don't think it's really what I would consider happiness. I think it's just this, like... Belonging. This, this belonging, yeah. Or this, like, wild, unattainable, like, world that she thinks that she belongs in that she hasn't found yet. And that's what she's looking for. And it's also, because mm. like, she, she believes that she's so genius. Right. You know, she's like, I... There is something more for me. And I think that that is so common. Right. I mean, now I, nowadays it seems like everybody feels that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But we all have this, like, ego of, like, where's my special place? Yeah. Where's my special seven years of happiness that the devil's going to bring me? Right. You know? I say that all of the time. I, <laughs> it's just, like, a common thing. Mostly on first dates. <laughs> Are you the devil? Hi. I'm looking for seven years of happiness from you. Wait, wait. And then I'm going to die. <laughs> Good luck. Um. No, but it does. It seems like she's just... Nowadays, looking back, she looks like, she looks like us in that she's a self-centered teenager who considers herself a genius. Yeah. And is, like, so ready for the rest of the world to come and, like, rescue her from this reality. Yeah. I just want it to be mania. I'm gonna be honest. I just want it to be a mental illness. (laughs) Oh, what do you mean? Well... Just because that's the thing that I'm interested in, uh-huh. it, like, seems to me that oftentimes the first person that does something revolutionary like that, I mean, that is super ballsy, but yeah. it makes me wonder, like, how was she that brave? Like, is there yeah. some other... If she was just mentally ill. Mechanism? Yeah. Or maybe not even mentally ill, maybe just, like had an abnormal mind? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Maybe. It's total speculation. She was probably fine. Like, well, she was I'm probably sure she fine. Had, I'm sure if she was alive today, she would be, you know, considered depressive. Right. You know. And, but aren't we all? Exactly. Like, I just <laughs> yeah. want there to be, like, some clear, like, oh! Yeah. That's what was going on. Well, I think that I, don't think... I have not read her whole book. Because um, I just got these in the mail yesterday. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, um... Speaking of which, I do have a Patreon account if anyone wants to help me pay for these books that I'm buying Hell to yeah. do this folks podcast. Um, <laughs> um, so I also, yeah, I so I ordered three books: Mocking Mary, Humorous versus Mary McLean. This is like how big of a deal she was. There were actual whole books published to satirize her. Her. Yes. Why did people hate her? It. She reminds me of Lena Dunham. Okay. You know? Right. Like, people just kind of, like, love to hate women who are self-satisfied and telling their own story. Yeah. But also people. Not just women. Women, but also people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Why is that? Well, you know, I think that just when you walk into a room and you say, I'm special... No one's people are gonna, gonna throw up on you. Yeah, yeah. Gonna be like, um. <laughs> but also there's I think that it does two things. It makes people say, "Okay, get over yourself," and then it also makes mm-hmm. people say, "Wait, if you're special, maybe I'm special." Right. You know. Well, and by like elevating that everyday life thing, yes. like super similar to girls. Actually, yeah, it's like exactly. why is this story special? Yeah. I have that story, but that's also why people enjoy it. Exactly. So. Yeah, it's like taking an everyday story, making it accessible and a little bit stylized, and then it's like, to some people it just seems boring and egotistical, and to some people it is just like so relatable, and that makes it so great. Right. 
Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's this whole collection of books about making fun of her, which I was like, oh, I'm going to spend a whole bunch of time on that. But then it was just kind of boring. Um, (laughs) um, the book itself is pretty good. And then there's a couple little things about the way that she feels about Butte that I think that we would... (laughs) Oh, another thing that I wanted to point out, because I, how I just said, um, she was stylized. I just said, like, the, the stories are stylized a little bit. They're oh, commonplace, yeah. but also stylized. Uh-huh. She is performing a little bit. Like, so this says, um, uh, her text is a performance, not a factual biography, as is evidenced in her fantasies of the steely gray-eyed man-devil. That's what she talks about, the devil. He's steely gray-eyed. God. <laughs> it's really, like, sexual and funny. Um... She says, I pose all the time. I have a hundred sides, and I turn first one way and then the other. I have never been myself, excepting to two friends. So this 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 biography, or this, like, memoir that she wrote, mm-hmm. is of a character of herself. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that could be even compared... No. I was thinking again about Lena Dunham and her character, Hannah, on Girls. On Girls. But mm. they are very different people. Right. Um... But I'm sure it'd be something similar because, um, yeah, it's, it is her, but it's also, it's a, like, more dramatized version of herself. Right. Um, also, I didn't mention earlier that there's actually a movie. She made a movie about herself called, um, Men Who Have Made Love to Me. And it dramatized, or dramatized McLean's romances with six types of men. A callow youth, a literary man, a decadent gentleman, a caveman, a bank clerk, and a husband. And starred McLean herself in a 90-minute feature. It received a mixed reception and was banned by the censor, of course, in some states, in the short-lived public enthusiasm. Oh, blah, blah, blah. That's boring. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, the sole print of the film was destroyed in a fire. So now, like, we cannot see it. That sucks. Yeah, is that Was it destroyed after she passed away? No, it was, she was in it. Oh, so. Oh, was it destroyed after she passed away? Yeah. I don't know, honestly. God, can you imagine how heartbreaking that would be? Oh. Jesus Christ. It'd be so sad. Mary McLean died in 1929, age 48. So it looks like it probably burned up before she died. Oh my God. That's probably why she died. She's probably just like, Okay, that's it. Fuck this shit. <laughs> I am going to Chicago. McLean out. She had a an, an African American photographer friend, female friend, at, when she died. So she wasn't totally alone. Um, but she was pretty alone. She's pretty alone. Yeah. Um, let's see here. There's a lot more information about her that's really cool, but we don't have to talk about it. Um, just a couple more things to like make us, you and I specifically relate to her as people who grew up in a place that we didn't like. Um, and also just the idea of, you know, you know how Kerouac will be like all the regular people and all their regular things. I hate them so much. You know, like he just is so like, I'm better than everybody. She did that too. Um, uh, McLean enunciates her difference from those around her and traces the emerging contours of a unique eye. For example, 
She calls on the devil to deliver her from the tastes that define banal people who like fried eggplant, fried beefsteak, fried pork chops, and fried French toast, along with many other ordinary nice and pleasant things. <clears throat> so silly. <laughs> God. Um, so she, just a little bit about Butte. It's interesting because she lives as a bohemian wild woman in her, like, life in Greenwich Village and stuff. Mm-hmm. But she also saw the citizens of Butte as bohemian um, because it was, like, so diverse back then. So there's a mix of Irish, Cornish, Finn, Chinese, Swedish, German, African, Mexican, Arabic, and Central European Jewish families. And so when she went back to Butte, I think that she was kind of realized something bigger about it, you know? Because it was um, kind of actually beautiful. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It was uh, beautiful. It was beautiful. <laughs> um, when she returned to Butte in 1909, McLean discovered that her connection to the town was deep, if ambivalent, and com- complemented her sense of self. I mean, come on. That is like us in Glasgow. Yeah. It is deep but ambivalent. Compliments our sense of self. <laughs> because, it, I, because I became my self-centered, weird, lame self in this town. Yep. You know. Because of this place. Because of this place that I will always be attached to. Forever. Yep. Yes. Um, yeah, listen to this. Butte, okay, as a writer's landscape, however, Butte is sympathetic as well as antagonistic. Butte and its immediate vicinity present as ugly an outlook as one could wish to see. It is so ugly indeed that it is near the perfection of ugliness, and anything perfect or nearly so is not to be despised. I have reached some astonishing subtleties of conception as I have walked for miles over the sand and barrenness among the little hills and gulches. Their utter desolateness is an inspiration to the long, long thoughts and to the nameless wanting. Okay. I love that. I feel like it's like, I just feel that, I just feel so much connection with Yeah, that. I do too. I do too. It makes you very introspective mm-hmm. to have that kind of, that kind of isolation. Yes. Like, and to always be confronted with the landscape. Like... You know, you you look outside and there it is all the time because right. the town is built around this land. Like in Glasgow, we are such a small place. It was so much land, so much sky, so much sky. Yeah, you can't get away from there's it. It's nothing, always there. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing to distract you. Mm-hmm. And when you're in Butte, it's the same way. Like Butte itself, the buildings of Butte and the the look of Butte is so specific and unique. You can't get away from that. But then also, you look past it, and I was just there, and I, I didn't know that when you look up, there are beautiful mountains, like, <laughs> there and there, and it's, like, gorgeous. And then the landscape, more immediately, is this really rugged, interesting, dry, she calls it this, like, dry barrenness, and, like, I think that is so perfect. I don't know. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly how we... <laughs> How we, like, talked about our... Yeah, it's always... I mean, I wonder if people didn't... I, I I remember learning this. We were in the ethics class together, and I remember kind of learning this at the same time. But, like, the way that we think, you can trace back the history of the way that we think. 
you know? Yeah. And, like, you and I might not have ever written these, like, poems or these stories that we wrote about ourselves and the way we felt if right. someone like Mary McLean hadn't done it a hundred years ago. Right. No, that's super interesting. I was actually just thinking about that, like, whether or not people in the pioneer days even thought like that. Yeah. I don't know. And I think part of it has to do with being able to, like, having the time. Like, when I did my episode about Evelyn Cameron, she wrote a lot of diaries, but it was mostly just, like, I did this, I did this, yeah. this, this happened. Because she was so busy. Yeah. But Mary McLean, she's living in Butte. Butte at the time was a pretty wealthy place. She just lived with her family, who she had no love for. You know, she was just, like, bored and alone in this house and nothing to do. So, of course, you turn into introspection. Right. You start walking through the mountains. You start thinking about yourself. You know? Yeah. And she just wanted to be famous and to write. I didn't mention that earlier, but she's like, I just want fame. I just want to write. You know? She's Damn. just, like, so into herself, you know? Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, yeah, I think that we could probably call it, wrap it up. Cool! I hope that people want to read her book. I know for a fact you can get it in fact and fiction, and it's, um, 16 bucks. It's a nice little red paperback, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds super interesting. I really, yeah, I'm gonna continue to read it. Um, I, I think that I'm gonna like it. It just, it's that little, little part of yourself, you know, that, that little part of yourself that's still 19 years old. Yep. You know? That, but, like, needs to be fed. Yeah. Sometimes. It needs to be fed. That's kind of, I think, maybe where even our creativity is still coming from sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, there have been studies done that show that the most creative people have an overabundance of emotion. That, makes that they, sense. like, don't know what to do with. And yeah. I feel like that's the peak of it, is when you're a teenager and you have so much and you have uh-huh. nothing to do with it. Exactly. Yeah, I think that now, like, these days when I'm pretty, like, um, stable, I have to, like, go back into my, like... Me too. Yeah, you have to, like, go back into your little depressive, like, teenage self to yep. find all that wrong. Or just, like, read a lot of news. <laughs> that's why so much of my writing has been political these days, because it's, like, that's where all of my strongest emotions are coming from. Anyway. Right. Yeah. And it's just too much work to, like, press that down. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you might as well do something with it. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. Um, okay, well, thanks, Siddle. Yeah, of course. I'm so glad that we got to talk about this. Yeah, I like her. Love you. Oh, so there you have it. <laughs> uh, Mary McLean, um, as told to you by Tess Falgren and Sydney Fell. Thank you so much for listening. Um, so you can find us on Patreon, on Facebook, on iTunes. Please let me know what you thought of today's episode. And thank you so much for listening. And like always, our intro and outro music is by Dorothy, a project by Marshall Granger. Mm-hmm.